Well, you know what the number one question that gets asked of me yeah. by people who are not in the church? What do you do all day? You probably get it. That's uh, your lay people ask well, you that. Well, yeah, yeah. My wife asked me that, but yeah. like, <laughs> not really. Um, but I mean, it's just that whole thing. Like, oh, you. The joke is, oh, you just work on Sundays, and yeah. then of course the next question, like, what do you do all day? Yeah, like literally, what do you? Right. What? what right. Do you? What you you do? Because it just doesn't make sense to people. You know what I mean? Like, it would be it'd be similar to like no one in medieval Christian would ever ask a pastor, "What do you do all day?" Like. The f- you're praying for God's sakes! I'm like, please tell me you're praying because I'm gonna go into the woods. I don't know what I'm gonna find. So you know, uh, yep. uh, be praying for me. Well, it, it'd be similar to like asking a hedge fund manager today, like, what do you do all day? Like, you may have a like question, like, actually, how do you do your job? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? But you have you, you're not thinking like this person literally has probably nothing to do. Yeah, you know, like this is the computer algorithm does it all for them. Right, this person is probably sitting in a room and maybe like the crisis happens and they need them. But what is this person really actually like? In the sense, when people ask you like what what do you do all day, they mean the flows of the Im- the culture of the imminent fl- fr- uh, frame move. And you're not really needed, dude, on that right. ride. Like, right. no one needs you to keep this thing going. So, like, it's like, yeah, I, like, get it at Easter and Christmas when we get nostalgic about, right. like, old stuff you're needed. But, like, what do you do? Because no one really needs you, man. I'm sure, like once in a while, people get sick or whatever, yeah. or even babies are born and and stuff. We got to do weddings and funerals. Yeah, so you but. got that stuff to do, but you just see how that that kind of imminent frame thing happens within that. And so, as a pastor, I guess you you can, so you inherit that. That's the point here is that you inherit that reality. And so now, if Taylor says this is your world and everyone has to inherit that, and there's a positive way and there's a negative way, there's a there's a um, I kind of, I guess what he would mean is like, a, there's a, like an artistic way to inherit it and have it, fl- even the imminent frame flood with meaning. And there's a reductive way. And I think some particularly mainline pastors have, have just kind of chosen the closed way and the maybe less productive way, which is to simply say, okay, God doesn't act. God doesn't move. Maybe in a theoretical way, I still believe that. And I still believe enough of the of kind of Christian theology and doctrinal doctrinal kind of stuff that I can hold to that. But it really makes no difference in what I do all day. And so um, I don't really help people encounter God because I don't know what the heck that means. And then I think there's others, other people who want to have an open take and really believe and maybe even have experienced, had resonance experiences, and therefore fallen in love with a God who has encountered them and had affection towards towards this God. But you still in, interpret this imminent frame. So it's, even if you've had that kind of experience and you have a more open take, as Taylor would say, you're still thrust into, and this is, becomes mind-bending for a pastor, which is, okay, how do I lead a congregation that way? And I still inherit the imminent frame enough that as soon as I want to claim I'm helping people encounter a living God, I realize I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I, I – that's not – that's like outside of – the natural imposed actions of the cultural and w- culture in which I live in. So what do I do? And so, I mean, we've had a whole, whole, all sorts of movements that have been kind of helpful thinking about 
well, what you do is you ask the big question, what has God up to? Or you're just helping pa- people participate in God's kingdom. You're helping, you know, all sorts of different ways of thinking about that. But I, I often don't think that that takes into consideration enough the imminent frame itself. And um, it, I think it, it sometimes is a kind of religious nicety that we use to escape the the reductions or just the heaviness of the imminent frame. And this is why I like... You the, mean just how profound and powerful it actually is? How much it... Yes. How much it just leans on you. Like, even when you don't want it to lean on you, it just leans in on you. You know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, it, it, so it becomes really hard to say to yourself, you have to kind of live in the in a certain crisis of, I want to help people encounter a living God, and yet I don't even often know what that looks like. And when I even try to say what it looks like, I get all twisted up, and I'm not re- even sure what, what, what to do there. You can think whatever you want about Karl Barth, but I think one of the things that's really most helpful about Barth is that Barth intuitively recognizes, of course, he's writing 100 years before Charles Taylor, so he'd never use the word imminent frame, but if we allow a little time travel and throw back this conception of the imminent frame into uh, you know, the 1920s... But do you think... And sorry to interrupt you, but no. I mean, was Barth sensing the imminent frame or its arrival? Maybe it wasn't fully there yet, but... No, absolutely I think he was. And in many ways, it was fully there. So Bart, I think, as a pastor, which is what's so interesting about him, as a pastor, I think he recognizes that the imminent frame is the operative reality. And so what do you do? Um, Well, he thinks that most liberal forms, the kind of liberal education he got, uh, conceded too much ground to the imminent frame. Uh, he also thought the kind of pietist conservative forms um, were had their own inherent problems within them. So he kind of went on a, a search looking for a way. And, and but what he thought both of those perspectives did, which this is really, I think, helpful for us as we think about what we do inside the imminent frame, is he thought both perspectives essentially, um, that both perspectives had to turn God into something other than God. In other words, inside the imminent frame, God is allowed to be in it, but not as God, as a religious object, or as an individual spirituality, or... I mean, because it's, it's a box, and you basically have to put God in the box. Yes, so the imminent frame constructs the reality. It's natural and material. Prayers don't really do things. Um, science can can rule, but not just science, but also deep forms of emotive art or whatever that comes from the Romantic Age. But so, so for the most part, God can't, God can be part of the imminent frame, not at the center of it, but pushed to the edge. But God can no longer, this is in Bart's perspective, can no longer be God. God must be a religious system or a religion. So it doesn't order the whole imminent frame, but you can, you still can go to church on Sundays. You can reference it. And, and yeah. it is good. Like it, it, something ter- tragic happens in your society. It's good for the human psyche to be able to say thoughts and prayers and pray. But yeah, you know, that's as much as it does, or it can even be more profound than that. And it can be an ethical system. 
Jesus helped people out. He gave us an ethical way of living, and that's about as far as it can go. Right, um, like the golden rule works great in the, the golden rule. It, it it can work great until it doesn't work great. You know what I mean? When there's all sorts of uh, sorts of issues with it. So Barth's perspective is holy crap. On essentially, like to overplay this, but on both the left and the right, they've turned God into an object, and they've uh, to keep God in the imminent frame. They've had to minimize God's otherness. So God does not stand outside the imminent frame and judge the imminent frame. God becomes furniture inside the imminent frame. So all of that talk is to say, so now you're a pastor, and inside the imminent frame, you can be released from thinking that it's your job to somehow make God known, right? That it's your job to somehow bring people um, into the into the easy uh, a, a kind of adaptation of this kind of thinking or this kind of way of life. Because if it really is a God who is God, or say it this way, like you can think my job is to help people find God. We often would say that. Except if God really is God, you can't find this God. This God is not hidden in some corner of the givenness of reality. That this God is beyond it. This God is other than it. So you as a pastor cannot bring people to God. Only God can come to us. So that doesn't, for Bart as a pastor, that doesn't end the pastoral task. That makes it even all the more important. Because now what we're doing, and I guess this moves us from an earlier podcast of the difference between relevance and resonance. Like if it's about relevance, then you can even turn that theological or spiritual and say you are the more relevant pastor when you can bring people to God. Yep. Better sermons, better Bible studies, you bring them right to God. That's a big burden to bear, and it gets you caught in the cul-de-sac of relevance again. And it's burnout city. It is burnout city. Um, Bart's point is, you can't do that. You can't find this God. This God can only, if this God is truly the God who is God, this God can only find us. So what do you do? What do you actually do inside of this? This becomes a counterintuitive thing that connects with residence again as elusive and transformational. You can only wait. You can only wait for this God to show up. And the waiting isn't a kind of devoid boredom. It is actually a way of participating in loving the world and being in relationship with the world and taking on those forms of action of resonance. But you wait for God to show up. And then you help people when God does show up. Now, right there, the imminent frame imposes on you. What if God never shows up? What if God? What if God just never shows up? Then, then what do I do all day? What, what, then what do I do as a pastor? You wait. You just keep waiting for this God to show up. It's a very different pastoral disposition. If the core of what it means to lead a community is to help them wait for the God who is God to arrive in their lives, to arrive in the lives of of people, and then to be able to discern that, and that becomes a whole another question for another podcast, which is well. How do we know when it's God who shows up? 
Um, and I think Bart has a way of answering that question that's really profound for pastoral practice as well. But that's a very different thing, and we've talked about waiting before on this podcast, but the, it's in the waiting that the eventful arrival of non-givenness can occur, and the imminent frame is made open, or as, as Taylor would say, there's skylights um, to, to, to the imminent frame, that the imminent frame is broken through um, by this non-givenness. I tell you what, as somebody who's a pastor right now, that is like the best news I've ever heard, right? It, it, like, like you said, it just it lets you off the hook. Yeah. And, and it's not about me or what I do or how clever I am or how great of a sermon or an email or a devotion yes. I can write. It it's, lets it's you off the, the best. It's the best news in the world. It lets you off the hook that your action has to somehow create something. Yeah. But what it doesn't let you off the hook is that somehow you have to take on a kind of cruciform disposition that expects God to act and waits for God to act and lives under, in some ways, the burden of discerning God's action. And maybe we'll talk about this in, the, in a podcast down the road here, but then we find that the way God acts and this has been a theme kind of through my work, the way God acts is from cross to resurrection, from death to new life, from what Bart would say is this dialectic of impossibility to new possibility, of, um, as uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King would say, from, from the no way to the new way, from the no way um, uh, to this new way coming out of it. And, th- and, that, and that is, that's not a burden, but that is that you do have to suffer that reality, if that makes sense. That you do have to, you do have to, you do need support, and you need prayer, and you need friendship to be able to bear that reality with people. Um, but I think the first way we help people actually find a God who is God is to confess to our people, maybe not this bluntly, but maybe this bluntly, that we have no way of finding this God. Yet we think this God acts and moves, but we have no tricks, we have no illusions that we can find this God. And actually, our religious practices, they don't impress God. And at times, God even despises those. Um, So we will wait for this God to show up. But while we wait, we'll also learn to pray. We'll continue to read this text together all as the disposition of waiting for this God uh, to arrive deeply in our lives. Because we're helping people try to find a God who is a God who is God, who is not given, but though not given, comes to us. And so this is my big point about like Protestantism, as that's been a theme for a few podcasts here, is that when Protestantism loses this deep sense of a God who comes outside of the givenness of reality and breaks in and comes into the world, that Protestantism actually is a quite a boring version of religion. You know what I mean? Like compared to Eastern Orthodox uh, uh, liturgies and, and, and church buildings and, and, um, and just cultic activity as well as Catholic, I mean, spend some time in Italy and, and fresco painted cathedrals in, in um, 
all over Rome or something. And it's it's a way better um, kind of form of cultic religion. And so when Protestantism loses this idea that this God acts and breaks in from the non-givenness of reality into the world, it becomes a very flat, boring form of religion. Where it becomes profound and rich is this idea that a God who we cannot control encounters us, that a God who lives speaks to us and directs us. That becomes a very kind of profound way of being in the world, which is what Protestantism is, is a way of being in the world um, in this way. New Time Religion featuring Dr. Andy Root is produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. You can check out Andy's latest book, The End of Youth Ministry, available now that touches on many of the themes that we talk about in the podcast. New Time Religion is a production of the Alter Guild Podcast Network, and you can check them out at alterguild.org. That's A-L-T-E-R guild.org for more great shows. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for another round of New Time Religion.